Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're only going to cover one chapter this morning, but as we get through this, we'll pick up speed and cover uh, multiple chapters just because it's such a, a long book. But it is a narrative, so the story flows pretty, pretty easily. In some places, um, we're going to see some pretty <laughs> outrageous stuff. And it's just fun because the Bible has got some really weird stuff in it. And 1 Samuel's full of weird stuff. And we're going to cover it all. Does that sound fair? Mm-hmm. Let me pray for you and then we'll get started. Good morning, Lord. I am grateful um, for this family here at Meadow Grove. Um, it is a, a place of, of, uh, of, of a calm in the storm of life. I'm grateful for our pastor and his wife as they... Uh, lead our church family here. We pray your blessings over our staff, and we pray our blessings over uh, those that are in this room. We all bring our our hurts and our dark places and our brokenness, and most of us are doing our very, very best to cover all that up. But we ask, Father, as we look at the, the total story of 1 Samuel, we see uh, some people who are genuinely hurt, genuinely vulnerable, and uh, the only way they ever really saw true, satisfying help was when they exposed those vulnerabilities and let, and let God and God's men and God's women um, help, help solve that. We pray your blessings over the study of 1 Samuel, and we ask for your favor as we apply it to our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. told you a number of weeks ago when we started Ruth, Ruth was an introduction to 1 Samuel. Here's why. We're going to meet a little boy uh, named Samuel in this first chapter. He is born about the time, and at very least in the same generation, 15 or 20 year period, that a young boy named Obed, son of Ruth and Boaz, was born. Uh, Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had lots of boys that we know of. One of them is named David. Uh, Samuel and Obed are in the same graduating class at Bethlehem High or Ephraim Hills High or (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Um, So so there's some contemporary stories that would overlap. Uh, What we studied in Ruth, the realities we saw happening in Ruth, were happening all over the country. Okay, Uh, We should be reminded of Judges chapter 19. Judges 19, we met that Levite, y'all remember him? who went out and bought a sex slave. You remember where he was from? From the hill country of Ephraim. Think Appalachian Mountains of Israel. Okay? Banjo players and all. Um, and so we have this man from Ephraim in the hill country that does these terrible things, buys a sex slave, uh, ends up allowing her to be raped uh, to death, cuts her into pieces and sends them out. It's important to note because let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man from Ramathium uh, Zophim, that is possibly his family tribe. Like, like it's not a city. It's probably like, we, we live in the south. You know how like one parent will have a bunch of kids, and then they'll like put trailers around that house until they got enough money to build their own houses, and then like that's out there. That's Inman land. You know, that's, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, th- those, those places are... Sounds about right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so so that's, that's about, that's probably my best guess of what uh, Ramathium uh, Zophim is. It's probably uh, old money, and everyone just kind of hung around um, waiting for dad to die. No, that's terrible. 
Um, but look where he's from. From the hill country of Ephraim. The, the astute Bible student would go, oh no, another one of these people. Uh, we would find out, I think it's in First Chronicles chapter 6, that in fact um, this man that we're going to meet was in fact a Levite, which is an important fact we'll find out in a minute. So that's over in First Chronicles chapter 6. You, you can step out over there and look that on your own. Uh, but his name was Elkanah, the son of, and you have to go to seminary to be able to pronounce these. Actually, you don't. You just have to say, uh, say it with confidence, right? Uh, Jeraham, that's not confident. Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. Uh, we say, well, Caleb, didn't you just say that in First Chronicles it says that this family is of a Levite family? I did. Uh, it was customary. The Levites didn't have a, a piece of property. Do y'all remember that? Early on in, in Jewish history, the 12 tribes were given their parcels. And the Levites weren't given a block of land, but they were given about 48 cities called cities of refuge all throughout the nation of Israel, and the Levites would live there. It kind of became customary that they would just kind of associate themselves with, uh, with the neighboring tribe. Um, in my old town of Yazoo City, a man named Phil, his name wasn't Phil, he was from India, uh, so you tell me what his name is. His uh, wife went by the name of V. That's not her name either. Uh, so Phil and V on the subway. And whenever he had, uh, in, you know, um, introduced himself, he said, I'm Phil. I'm from Yazoo City. And no one believed that. Um, <laughs> right? Because you don't sound like you're from around here. So that's probably what's happening here is, is he's a Levite, but they've been in this area so long that they, they just kind of assimilate into the local culture. Um, Jewish culture is extremely good at this. Uh, even in our own American history, Jewish culture assimilated, assimilated so well into Southern culture that in the 20s and 30s we have evidence that there were many Jews in the Klan in the Mississippi Delta. God bless it, right? Um, Y'all have heard of Steinmark. I was born in Greenville, Mississippi. A lot of Jewish families there. And so uh, Jews are very good at assimilating into culture. This is probably what's happening here. So that's free for your dollar. First two. Now, oh, the first problem. Doggone it. We had hope. He had two wives. What was this man thinking? I'm going to tell you what he was thinking. The name of one of them was Hannah, and the name of the other was Apinia or Peninine. Um, uh, uh, the name Hannah escapes me. Penanai means something like red pearl. She's probably a ginger. Um, so y'all take that for what it's worth. She was a little sassy. And uh, you'll see that show up. So he has two wives. And the second wife, uh, Penanai, had children. But Hannah, the first wife, had what? None. So that's probably why Elkna went out and got a second wife. He wanted his name to continue. And uh, thank God we don't carry on that trend today, right? So this wife can't produce a child. I'm going to go out and find another one. Uh, but you have these two women, one who is barren, one who cannot uh, produce an heir, and then you have Penanai, who every time Elkna walks past her gets pregnant. I mean, fertile myrtle. She has lots of babies. And uh, how do you think that makes Hannah feel? Yeah. Any, any, if she ties her self-worth to her ability to have children, every time this woman gets pregnant, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And Elkna, for what it's worth, was probably a wealthy man, 
but uh, astute businessman, but always wasn't smart with keeping up with how he ought to treat his women. All right? He he treats them uh, with he takes care of them. He supports their financial burden, but he's not emotionally smart. We'll see that in a minute. You'll see it, Jerry. You ready? Now, this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord, to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Y'all know where that is? That's over in Pelahatchee. Um, and, the, and the two sons of Eli, Eli is the high priest, okay? His sons are Hophni and Phinehas. They were priests to Yahweh there, to the Lord. Now, um, the Bible writer is kind of forecasting for us. Now, because we're not Jews and we read all names with broken English, uh, we don't pick up on this in first reading, but if you study it, you'll find out that the name Hophni and the name Phineas are, in fact, Egyptian names. What is the Bible writer projecting to us, the reader? How, what, what are these boys probably going to be? Good guys? No, they're going to be bad boys. Matter of fact, the, the term worthless fellows comes up, which is the same description that we gave the men who gang-raped the sex slave over in Judges chapter 19 and 20, okay? So Eli and Hoff, or, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, no bueno, right? These guys, uh, the Bible writers projecting to us, hey, these have, they, they have sin like the Egyptians have sin. Um, but Eli, God help him, he, um, he's the high priest, but he is not spiritually in tune. As a matter of fact, nowhere in the ministry of Eli, as presented to us in Samuel, does God speak directly to Eli. God speaks directly to Eli through other people. He'll tell a prophet, or in, in one case, a little boy, say, go tell Eli the word of God, because he's out. He doesn't understand, he, he can't hear God's word. At this point, Eli's probably in his 80s, and the Bible will tell us in a minute, he's a very fat man, like extremely fat. Um, verse 3, this man would go up from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord in Shiloh, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they were priests of the Lord there. Now when the day came that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all of her sons and her daughters. <sighs> How many kids this woman got? Bunch. Uh, and then look what the text says. But to Hannah, he would give a, a double portion. So here's what he would do. This is, this is so terrible. He is so clueless as a husband. Uh, you would never... If you had two, two children, you would never go, okay, we're going to cut this cake into, uh, into three pieces, and I'm going to give your, your brother one piece. I'm going to give your sister two pieces. You would never do that. But Elkanah sits down at the table. They're at the Holiday Inn. They got a nice rate, and they're up at Shiloh worshiping. And uh, they, he goes and sacrifice. He gets the meat from the sacrifice that he's legally able to keep, and he has a whole bunch of meat, and he splits it into thirds. And to the woman who has a bunch of kids and mouths to feed, he goes, here, you have this third. God bless you. And Hannah, uh, you don't have any children. It's just you. Have all of this. Okay. Okay. Elkna, what are you doing? You are creating dissension among the ranks. This is not good. Keep reading. Um, so he would give Hannah the double portion. For he loved Hannah... What's the next phrase? This is a hard truth in the Bible. But the Lord did what? Had closed her womb. Uh, anytime the Bible tells us that the womb is open or closed, it's always something from God. We don't always know what God's plan is, but God always has a plan. 
Um, and in this case, there's a pretty big plan. Verse 6. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly is the word. Remember I told you she's a redhead? You know, <laughs> we've, we've, we know. Um, so she's a little sassy. She would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So they would sit down to dinner, and, uh, and uh, Penaniah would reach over, and she'd kick Hannah under the table, right? Or she'd take some, uh, some carrots on her spoon, and when Elkanah wasn't looking, she'd flick it over at her. And then she, every time she went by uh, Hannah's bedroom, she'd stick her head in the door and go, Hey, uh, heard you ha- can't have any kids. You're a terrible woman, and you're horrible, and I hate you. I hope you die in your sleep. I mean, this is bad. This is a bad situation. And there they are at home every night, and Hannah is just being tormented by this younger, extremely fertile woman. And they go up every year on extended family vacations to Shiloh to worship. Now, I'm I'm not saying this is wrong, but I'm just saying, listen to a guy's wisdom here. Um, Some of you... Uh, are part of this craziness. Some of you think it's a good idea. Uh, none of the men in here do. Um, but you will, you will get up all of your children that you have raised in your home, and you've sent them out to the world. And they have found beautiful people to marry. And they have produced grandchildren who you love and you would do anything for. And then you say, I've got a great idea. Let's rent a beach house. You all, you all bring white polos and khakis. <laughs> And we'll spend, we'll, spend, we'll spend three or four days together at the beach house. It will be so much fun. It will be so much fun. And we're going to hire a photographer. And as the sun's going down on the third day, we'll take pictures. And everyone will smile. And it will be so good. And I love looking at those pictures because I know at least one of those children is intoxicated on White Claw or something. Uh, just to get to the family vacation, you're laughing because you know it's true. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so you're there. And I know I, you said, you just wait till I have grandkids. That's fine. That's fine. Um, no, I said we've done that. Yeah, I know. I mean, the white and the khakis, too. And the, and the I know. Khakis. I know. Everybody's done that. We're white people. Okay? This is, <laughs> this is what white people do. I don't know why we do it. I don't know who started it. But every year they go up to Shiloh with their polos and their khakis for a family photo, and every year there's another baby out to the right side for Pania, the redhead. And every year it's Elkna with his hand around Hannah. But I love you so much. And she said, don't touch me. (laughs) Right? Verse 7. It happened, what's the three next words? Year after year. And she's so tired. She's so hurt. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. And so Hannah wept, and she wouldn't eat. Now, pay attention here, men. This is important. Women, y'all got the tricks already worked out. Men, pay attention. Look what, look what Hannah does. Uh, so she wouldn't eat. I'm not hungry. And she would what? She would cry, and it's a proven fact. Men will do anything, anything short of moving heaven and earth to get their wives or their daughters to quit crying. What do you want? What do you need? You need jewelry? I can make that happen. We'll do anything to make you stop crying. And, and, and Hannah goes, I'm crying, and I'm brokenhearted. I'm not going to eat. I'm not hungry, and I'm just going to go to my room and cry. And Bozo the Clown over here, Elkema, says the worst, just don't talk, man. 
Just don't talk. What does this woman want more than anything? A child. I want a child. I got a husband. He, I know he loves me. He feeds me good. I want a son. And he comes to her and he whispers these sweet little words to her in verse, verse 8. Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Because they don't know. Am I not better to you than what? Ten sons. Ten sons. And Hannah doesn't say it out loud, but in her heart she says, No, you are not. You are not. And I need you to get up out of my face with your white polo and khakis. Because we're not doing this again. Now, verse 9, something happens. Hannah rose after eating. I, I'm thinking this must have been early morning. right? This is, this is my poetic mind working, but I think this must have been kind of in the morning. She, she tried to get up. She didn't, she didn't sleep all night. Because once again, the redhead is just wearing her out, teasing her, making fun, hurts her feelings. And, and she gets up. She has a little bite to eat, but, you know, mm, didn't really help her. Got a queasy stomach. And, uh, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Now, this is a weird description. We don't have a lot of time to go into it because i, I got to get you guys out on time today. Um, but the temple wasn't built until the days of Solomon. We've still got a long way to go. I think... What has happened is the tabernacle, which is the tent of meeting, which they carried around the wilderness, they've kind of set it up at Shiloh, and it's been there for so long um, that they said, we, we need a little better kind of protecting this area. So perhaps they built a wood structure, that's what I'm thinking, over this area to kind of protect it from the elements. The, the tabernacle is still the tabernacle. It's still the tent. Um, but they kind of built this structure over it. And uh, because I think Solomon had a great, if he didn't write um, parts of Samuel, he certainly went through and was an editor, right? A divine inspired editor. What he wrote and what he edited is inspired from the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong on that. But perhaps Solomon put in the word temple as opposed to tabernacle. But nevertheless, uh, Eli the priest was sitting at, on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So it's, it's this, I think, this wooden structure around the tent. And he's sitting on a chair, and it's not like a chair with a back. Um, archaeological finds um, tell us that men of prominence, uh, in the, they would have a courtyard inside of their home, and they would have this uh, chair, this stool with no back. And it was kind of, um, have, has anyone of authority ever told you to do something or said, I like that idea, and you ran with it and it got in trouble? Because they'll say, I didn't say that. Um, they fixed that problem by having this seat of authority. Uh, I may tell you, go ahead and do something, but unless I'm sitting in my special chair, indicating to you that I'm full attention and I'm giving you authority, then you could just count it as a casual conversation. Um, the Roman Catholic Church still does this. Uh, the, you may raised in the Roman Catholic traditional. So there's something called a papal bull. Are you familiar with that? Okay. Uh, when the papal bull is written, it is believed to be inspired by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of the Pope, and whatever he writes when he's sitting on his Pope seat, his throne, it is to, it's, it's considered the Word of God. Okay, Now, obviously, as Protestants, that's not something we believe in, but it's a tradition that comes from ancient days. Uh, not everything the Pope says, if you're, a good, if you're a good Catholic, not everything the Pope says is without error. But when he's sitting on his seat, his seat of authority, that's and so that's kind of what Eli's doing. He's sitting there near the temple at the temple post, whatever that means. He's outside, 
And he's sitting in a place of authority, and he's sitting there. And he looks over. Now, he's, now he's, he's 80 years old. He's very fat. Okay? Um, and he looks over. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple. She, Hannah, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, that I will give him the Lord all the days of my life, and a razor shall never come to his head. What does that sound like? Anybody know a similar story? It's a Nazarite vow. Okay? Uh, a Nazarite vow, when you, are a na when you take a Nazarite vow, you uh, would say, I'm not going to cut my hair. A razor will not cut my hair. Cut my, touch my hair. I will not take of the vine, so I won't eat grapes or drink wine, and I won't touch anything dead. Okay? The Apostle Paul, over in the book of Acts, took a Nazarite vow for a season. Samson was supposed to take a Nazarite vow for how long? His whole life. And what is Hannah promising God? If you give me a son, I will make him a, a Nazarite vow that he will live with his whole life. So those of you who think Samuel had a like, nice pompadour and really good clothes... And uh, so he had like the dirty dreads, okay? It never touched, never raised, never, he never cut his hair, right? Had a long, scraggly beard, right? right that's going to be Samuel in his, in his life. Think about an eight-year-old boy that's never got a haircut. How y'all liking that, okay? All right, got a little three-dimensional talking here. Okay, so she says, a mullet, there it is. Uh, business in the front, party in the back. Um, but she says, I, I'll never put a razor on his hair, and I'll give, him, I'll give him to the Lord. Now, it came about as she continued to pray before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. Now, let me pause here. Um, she says, I'll give this child to the Lord. Let me be very clear here. This part of Scripture is descriptive, not prescriptive. I promise you, if you have a baby, please do not bring it up here for uh, Pastor and Lady Jane to raise. Okay, all right. So she said, "She said I didn't take you to raise." Okay, I had my own. I got them out. They're giving me grandbabies. I'm fine. Uh, don't, don't, don't do this. Okay, uh, this is not this is not the Bible telling you if you want to overcome barrenness, you got to give your child back to the preacher. Don't do it. Right? It's not in there. But you wouldn't believe the crazy stories that are out there. Maybe not here in North America, but in other places. Um, but it came about as she continued praying before the Lord. Now remember, she's crying, and she's probably on her knees in my mind, and she's just rocking, and she's just murmuring her prayer. All right? Uh, this is a day where there's just rampant disobedience and ugliness and mean-spiritedness. Uh, people were showing up to the temple intoxicated. So Eli's first thought was, oh, another drunk woman. It was customary, it is customary still in Jewish community, when they pray, they pray like this. What does this look like I'm doing? Well, I'm waiting to receive something, right? How do we teach our kids to pray? Almost, and I don't want to say in shame, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a it's everybody, every eye closed, every head bowed. Closed. And it's almost, it's a very humbling thing. But I want to tell you something. Some of y'all, your prayer life will transform if you can get out of this and do this because you you almost from your very early age have learned that God is a God who condemns sin and hates all these things, and that's true. But he says, look at me. 
I'm fixing to, I'm going to set you free. So something I'm going to change your. Oh, thank you, Siri. Um, uh, so something I'm going to change your posture, just so that you can understand the goodness and grace of God, right? So maybe wake up, open your eyes, and say, God, this, I need help, right? But Hannah is, is here, probably indicating that her posture of prayer doesn't look normal, okay? Keep looking at the text. As Hannah, verse 13, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, and Eli thought she was drunk. He probably saw these homeless people all the time coming to the temple, making some crazy vow, murmuring under their breath. It's like, what a drunk person. Verse 15, or verse 14, and Eli said to her, Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself a drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Uh, I think this is funny. Again, this is an indication of uh, men and women. Uh, her words were very ornate and very detailed and precise, and she kept talking and kept talking and kept talking, and look what Eli said. Go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you your petition. Right? So let's go back. Is Eli a godly man? No, he's raised two filthy, filthy sons who are taking sexual advantage of women who come to the temple. We'll see that a little later in the, in the text. Um, they are corrupt, they are thieves, and they are authoritarian dictators, and God is going to take them out. We'll see that in the future. Um, and God doesn't talk to Eli. Again, the two times that we have in the text that God spoke to Eli, he did it through other people. 2021, I want you to apply this truth however you need to. God and God alone raises kings and kingdoms. He alone puts men in positions of power. And then he calls Christians to obey. Eli is a scallywag. All right? He's a real jerk. He spoke. Hannah believed him. God uses broken vessels. We live in a culture where a lot of us mistrust the authority over us. I don't think we are at a place yet as a, as a Christian community to full-on revolt. I, don't, I just don't think we're there. Uh, okay. Um, we have a duty to obey and to listen to the authority placed above us and pray to God for better ones. Can I put a period there and move on? Mm-hmm. All right. Y'all read between the lines. He says, all right, fine. Go in peace. May God of Israel grant your petition. You have asked him. She said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the, so the woman went away, ate, and her face was no longer sad. What did Hannah believe? God spoke. That's what she believed. And did he? Well, let's find out. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to the house in Ramah. Uh, and uh, that must have been a very interesting ride home. Because uh, there's only one way to get pregnant, last time I checked. And Hannah was ready, right? And uh, she's like, hey, Elkna, what you, what you doing tonight? Because um, I, I want to talk to you about something. 
Anyway, Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel because I, I have asked him of the Lord. We have three children. We have two sons. My youngest name is Joshua Samuel. I love this name. It's a great name. Great name. So uh, Hannah's happy, right? But, but Hannah has put her hope in God, and God answered her hope in this case, and she, she's happy. And uh, so look at the text. This is fun. Hannah, uh, so verse 41 and the man Elkna went up with all of his household to offer the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. All right? Elkna, remember he's not emotionally mature yet, right? He still says stupid stuff at the wrong time. Um, but he's a good husband. He, he does, doggone it, he does his best. Right? God bless him. Some of you ladies know. Um, and you picked him. It's your fault. Uh, so uh, he does his best. And he said, hey, it's, it's the time for worship. Now, if the timeline is correct, Samuel is two to three months old. Right? Give or take. Every year, they come home, they have relations, she, has, she gets pregnant in due time. So uh, how does a mama and a two-month-old relate, right? She ready to just give that baby up? Mm, mm-mm. And Hannah's not ready. Um, verse 22, Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, uh, I'm going to hang back. I will not go up until the child is weaned, and I will bring him that he may be up here before the Lord and stay there. Uh, forever. Um, in this culture, it is not uncommon uh, to have uh, weaned a child between the ages of three and five. Okay, And if Hannah was real clingy, maybe she stretched that out and made it uncomfortable for everyone. Right? Um, so, nevertheless, uh, I, Josephus, who's a historian uh, uh, around the, the first millennial beginning, um, he had some data sources from rabbinical teaching. They believe that, that Samuel's probably about three or four at this time, uh, a toddler, which, by the way, um, is a good time to get those kids out of your house, right? <laughs> like, like, all right, tap it out. You're the Lord's now. Uh, you do what you want. Uh, nevertheless, Elkna, her husband, said to her in verse 23, he's learning. He's learning. Look what he says. He's learning. Look what he says. Uh, do what seems best to you. He's learning. Hey, men, take note. When your wife says something. He didn't learn it or he gave up. Uh, either, which, either which way. Either which way, so, someone's winning. Someone's winning. All right. Um, and, and, and so remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So, so what, she, what he's saying is like, look, you made a promise to God. You don't get to, to back out on that. Okay. By the way, God never asks you to promise him anything. But if you do, he expects delivery. Okay? So that's free for your dollar. Take that however you want to. Elkner, her husband, said, do what seems best. So the woman remained and nursed her son until uh, she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull, one ephah of flour, and a jug of wine, and brought her to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was still young. Uh, some commentators think that the three-year-old bull was an indication of a three-year-old boy. However, a three-year-old bull is not an uncommon sacrifice, no matter the circumstance. So they may line up, but it's not an ironclad. That's, that's what was going on. Though, 
I think he was probably three or so at the time. And so uh, I love it. She brought up some bread and wine and said, you're going to need this um, to the priest. Uh, verse 25, and they slaughtered the bull and they brought the boy to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, that's lowercase, my, my good sir. As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here before you or beside you praying to the Lord. How many women had Eli seen? A lot. Who was he, the high priest? It's kind of like it's kind of like meeting the president back in '94, and then meeting him again in 2021. I met you off Air Force One in Jackson. You remember? And he'd be like, "Yeah, sure." I shook your hand, didn't I? Yes, you remember. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's what's happening there. And uh, Eli's like, "Okay." So he said, "For this boy, I prayed." And the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And Samuel worshipped the Lord there. We're going to pause there. We'll pick up in chapter 2 and 3 next week. Um, but I just want you to just be aware. This story is an awkward beginning. But listen to me. From the Appalachian Hills of Israel in Judges 19 and 20, an Ephra, a, a, a Levite comes and destroys the world. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 1, a man, a Levite, from the, Ephra, the Appalachian Hills of Israel has a wife who God is going to use to bring stability to the nation of Israel. And it is a foreshadowing of a future woman who in her culture was thought to be a hussy by everybody but her and one other woman named Elizabeth. And she goes, if you read Luke chapter uh, 1, it's interesting that Luke uses the words. She, she doesn't go to Ephraim, but she goes to the hill country. That's a clear connection point for us. God sends Mary to the hill country, and it should cause the Bible readers' eyes to go, ooh, bad things come from the hill country. But good things can come from the hill country. What's going to happen? And Mary goes to the hill country and walks up to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth says, ooh, child, your Savior is within you. God bless you that you come to see me. I love this simple fact. God uses the least, and in the context of the Bible, women who can't produce children to be the saving grace of all humanity, stretching back all the way from Abraham's wife, Sarah, to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I think it's a beautiful story. We'll continue that next week. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for 1 Samuel chapter 1. Thank you that it foreshadows this gospel event that's coming. Samuel, this miracle child, whom you have intentionally begun the process of raising up. And we'll see in chapter 2, 3, and 4 next week how you're going to use this man to do great things. Even as a boy, you'll be training him up to do good things for the nation of Israel and for the people of God, for us that we call ourselves the church of Jesus. We pray your blessings over our family here, our faith family at Meadow Grove, and I pray for my brothers and sisters across 
uh, the globe uh, that today uh, all across the world are being sacrificed and slaughtered because they confess the name of Jesus that we do so in safety and peace here. Bless them. May they suffer for the name of Christ well. And may their message of hope transcend their death. And may many in this world come to know Jesus through the faithful testimony of men and women who are being hurt for their faith in Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.